Hello and welcome aboard our podcast, Fighting Catholic Jetlag. My name is JC and I'll be your host. I'm a flight attendant and I'm on a journey to find my place within the Catholic Church. I'll be accompanied by my friend and co-host, Father Larry Hostetter, priest of 34 years and doctor of sacred theology. He's a Catholic University president and for our discussion, he'll serve as spiritual ground control to keep things on course for our flight back to faith. At times, we'll be navigating through difficult and uncomfortable issues, so prepare for a bit of turbulence along the way. There won't always be easy answers, but no subject will be off the table. If you're ready to explore your own doubts and questions and rediscover your faith with us, then sit back, buckle up, and enjoy our flight to faith. Cheers to my friends. Cheers. Season two. And, and then cheers to all the folks out there on Mardi Gras night. Ah, Fat Tuesday. Shrove Tuesday. Welcome. Fashingsdienstag. Mm. Of course, by the time you all are hearing this, it will be the first Regular Sunday old Tuesday. Lent. And, re- and Lent. Yeah. That's awesome. Good evening, everyone, or good afternoon, or good morning, whenever you come on to this podcast. That's J.C. Hart. Oh, and that's Father Larry Hostetter, and this priest is of 34 years. Catholic jet lag. <laughs> you have to say that one again. I don't think you said it right. Fighting Catholic jet lag. That's it. I know. We have Cheers. a little bit of food here tonight mm-hmm. and, and some Prosecco for Fat Tuesday. And it's our favorite flavor. Mm-hmm. It's La Marca. This is not sponsored content, Rebecca, and I just really like it. So thank you. Good job. So at midnight, all of this good fun time comes crashing to an end. Yes. Well, today, Sister Pam said, uh, Lauren and I had lunch with her, and um, Lauren's like, when's Mass tomorrow, Fresh Wednesday? And she said, at noon or at 8. So if you're still celebrating Fat Tuesday at noon, just come at 8. <laughs> no celebrating a Fat Tuesday. I know. You have to go to New her. Orleans. They say that. The police come out at midnight and start closing down Bourbon Street. I mean, just- and they're all by pre- by police. He means priests. Just come <laughs> no, out. No, no, not priests. No, police. Pol- real police. No, the police. Yeah. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. It's you- it's a very, oh, Catholic, a very Catholic town. town. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and I think a lot of ca- non-Catholics who go down there to celebrate on Bourbon Street are kind of shocked and surprised at midnight. So this is a public service announcement. Tell them. Yeah. So if you're in New Orleans and you think your party you is over at midnight, you just better and be there prepared. There is no party tomorrow. There is no party tomorrow. We're right. not doing it. We're not doing it. Go home. So all this started, of course. So Mardi Gras, Carnival, Fushing in Germany, um, Carnivale, all came from the Catholic tradition as a way of getting everything out before fasting started at Lent. And this was in the days when Lent, well, first of all, let's talk about fasting now. So what's required according to church rules right now for fasting? Absolutely. So fasting is required during Lent Mm -hmm. on Ash Wednesday Mm -hmm. and Good Friday, right? Right. Um, And Fridays are days of abstinence. Mm -hmm. So day of abstinence is... That's right. No meat. Mm-hmm. You can have fish, but no meat. Exactly. Uh, and then a day of fasting and abstinence, such mm-hmm. as tomorrow, right, is a day when you can have one regular sized meal, just one, and two smaller meals that shouldn't be together the same size as the one regular meal. 
Okay. So two small meals. This is for people who want to know precisely what exactly does it mean for me to fast? I think Pope Francis would say, hey, just enter enter into fasting. And he talked about fasting also about fasting from, you know, uh, negative thoughts, negativity, fasting from, you know, a lack of charity, but that can be part of the fast as well. But fasting has been part of the Catholic tradition and the Eastern Orthodox tradition since right. day D- one. Day one. And historically, Ash Wednesday is the hungriest day of the Catholic calendar, right? It's the, the day that day. you wake up and you're like, I have to fast. And you are you are hungry, hungry from 3 a.m. Until until the end. It's, so have it's you awful. ever stayed up till midnight on Ash Wednesday so you could have something to eat? Um, no, um, I'm not a, a diehard, but I know someone who is. Yeah. Didn't you say that you've, you've done that? I think I've done that. Yeah, I think I honestly have done that. I, I can be honest about it. I'm usually starving on Ash Wednesday. Yes. Yeah, me too. But usually... And other days, I might not me. have much to eat at all, but on Ash I, Wednesday, I'm the hungriest day of the year. everything looks good. That's right. Will you be at work tomorrow? Yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> it's not a holiday. Tomorrow, but I'm I'm abstaining from work. I thought we were supposed to. So no. I already put in my No, no, no. I already put in my vacation day for tomorrow. Well, okay. That's as long get, as it's a legitimate this, vacation day, it's been approved. <laughs> oh, did, I didn't know you had to do that. Yeah. Rebecca approved it. Yeah. <laughs> She's my boss. Well, that's great. That's exciting news. Right. So fasting used to be for our great-grandparents, every day of Lent was a fast day. Feels like it. So unless you were a laborer and you had to work hard labor during the day, or if you were ill or if you were expecting, then you did not have to fast. And of course, it doesn't apply to anybody. What are the ages for fasting? Do you all remember? I am officially exempt from Fasting oh, now. Stop it. Heck yes. yeah. That deserves a hot five. I have forgotten. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I've never seen Father Larry as excited okay. as this All moment. Right. So now. for members Break of the down. Latin Catholic Church, the norms on fasting are obligatory from ages 18 until age 59. I turned 60 this last year. <laughs> when fasting, a person is permitted to eat one full meal as well as two smaller meals that together are not equal to the full meal. The norms concerning abstinence from meat are binding upon members of the Latin Catholic Church from age 14 onward. So I'm not exempt from that. But if I wanted to be... I'm happy for you. I am so old now that the church considers it dangerous (laughs) for me to go without food. That is dangerous. It is dangerous for me to go without food. Of course, when this was written, 60 was... Oh, you know, you were going to die within the next four to five years. Uh, so they may consider changing this. But as of right now, heck yeah, technically, hey, my fellow 60-year-olds. Check on your 60-year-old friends. We don't need to fast because it's too dangerous Let's, for us to yes. do so. Isn't yes. I'm so excited for you. The rest yeah. of us will be very hungry. So uh, I will feel for you. <laughs> He's going to have his three big meals. I oh, know. I know. I very excited for you. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> I waited for this day. <laughs> I remember. Congrats, in fact, I remember cheers. when that I was 59, I was like, oh, one more year. Yes, I am frail. 
It's, so it's been a long 60 years and you made it through. I you made were it here to this point. This is your so, moment, Father Larry. Um, How does it feel? Do not have to fast. You look I don't know. Great. I feel Yeah. <laughs> he looks like he just got another 10 years left in him. That's this great. Is, this is wonderful. I can't stop smiling. I'm very excited for you. Um, so do you have you thought of what you want to give up or is that private? How what are your thoughts? You know, on typically what lens? I've done in the last few years um, is I have gone vegetarian for Lent, mm. uh, except for Sundays. And I found that that was actually easier than I thought mm-hmm. it would be. Um, so I might need to think of something else, you know. Yeah. Uh, I might need to do something. Yes. So, of course, the Pope has been very clear that for tomorrow, and so this is why... I will fast tomorrow. So Pope asked us to fast for the people of Ukraine. Oh, pray right. And fast for the Even people of 60 plus? Even, well, no, you're still exempt, you know, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> this will be my little extra. This so. is your little, that's right, purgatory <laughs> points. That's right. Well, okay, so he's asking, he's calling on priests or he's calling on all Everybody. Of Pope is not clerical. So, so what are you all, since you all asked me, what are you, what are you all giving up? Um, do you know what you're giving up? We kind of talked about this. I'm, I'm struggling. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been eating everything today just in case I decide. Me too. <laughs> I think chocolate is my worst vice. Yes. So yes. that would be the most difficult to do. So that's probably what I should do. Mm-hmm. But then I also wanted to ask. What else do you have to do? There's three things that you have to right. do. Right. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. There you go. Yeah. Um, before we finish with fasting, you told us the story that in England with Shrove Tuesday, this is the day you empty your cupboards of uh-huh. butter and eggs and flour. flour, and you make crepes or pancakes, yep. real flat pancakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're not supposed in the old days, when fasting applied for the whole 40 days and not just for the two days that we've kind of very mamby-pamby mm. um, about it now, um, you had to get rid of all those things so you didn't want to waste it. So you ate it all on, on Shrove Tuesday. So are you going to have pancakes tonight? Yes. Heck yeah. Love she, pancake day. Rebecca loves pancake day. And I have sweet and savory versions <sighs> ready for dinner. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm excited for you. Last year, cream. we found out about Pancake Day. You introduced that to your American friends, and we've all been celebrating Pancake Day since. Love it. Yeah. Okay. The traditional is lemon and sugar. Lemon and sugar. The powdered sugar or just regular sugar? Both. Because <laughs> you have to get rid of your sugar, too. Yeah. You're not supposed yeah. to have sugar. You got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. That's so great. you, but you kind of go teetotaler, don't you, during Lent? Um, last year, or in the years past, when I've given up drinking, it was difficult to give up drinking. And this past year, I did. Um, I just gave up like everything. Like I wanted to just like restart because I have celiacs, and so that's an autoimmune disease. So I wanted to just kind of do like a refresh and it was amazing. So not drinking, no sugar, no dairy, no bread, all of those things that don't really agree with me anyway. And it was, it was a lot easier than, you know, doing like the alcohol free beer 
you know, because that kind of just makes you like really wish you had a beer, <laughs> but giving up everything, um, uh, that, that was easier. Like getting, getting rid of like that sugar rush. I didn't crave wine. So I'm going to do the same thing for Lent this year. And I think I felt the best I've ever felt. And afterwards, like I thought that I would be by Easter Sunday, like, I can't wait to have a drink. And I'm sure I, I'm sure I did, but I wasn't craving it. I wasn't craving any of that. So I kind of carried that into for a couple of months and just like slowly brought it in. But I felt the best and I'm, I can give more to prayer and be more alert and ready to wake up on Sundays to go to church. Having all of that out is what I found. So that's what I'll be doing. But I'm also going to, I, I like to take something on too. I don't want to do too much, you know, like New Year's resolutions where you like do as many as you can and then hope that you have at least one left by the end of the year or by the end of the month. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking about taking something on. So if you have any suggestions, let me know. So Rebecca asked the question. Can you cut some of that? No. I thought it was very good. Rebecca had the question of what else are we supposed to do? And there are the three traditional actions of Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But before that, uh, did you all see this meme on Facebook about the Pope? Uh, We love a Pope meme. uh, On what it means to fast during Lent. So just real quickly, he's encouraging us to fast from hurting words and instead to say kind words to fast from sadness and be filled with gratitude, to fast from anger and to be filled with patience, to fast from pessimism and to be filled with hope, to fast from worries and have trust in God, to fast from complaining and to contemplate simplicity, to fast from pressures and be prayerful, to fast from bitterness and to fill our hearts with joy, to fast from selfishness and be compassionate, fast from grudges and be reconciled, Frast from words, be silent and listen. I like That's that. Cool, isn't it? I love that. It's our boy. Yeah. Did we get a message? Um, yes. This is a listener question. This mm-hmm. is from Rebecca. And she wants to know do all Christians believe and practice Lent? And what are the rules? I think the Orthodox Christians, and there are many varieties, and then the Catholic Christians definitely do it. I think Lutheran Christians, it's part can be part of their tradition, depending on whether they are what what kind of Lutheran they are. Same mm-hmm. thing with Anglicans. I think the Anglicans yeah. celebrate Lent, unless they are the more of the you know let's get rid of everything Catholic type oh, yeah. Episcopalians. Um, I think a lot of other denominations are starting to do things Lent like. But, you know, Lent was one of the things that during the Protestant Reformation that uh, many of the Reformed churches rejected because it was so Catholic. And hard. I don't really blame them. I mean. You know, so a lot of things that were, <laughs> were high Catholic, they would reject and say, we're not just not doing that because this reeks of, as they would call it, papalatry or yeah. papism. They're like, get rid of and, fasting, get yeah. rid of purgatory. But other traditions, like the Anglican tradition, maintained it. I think the Methodists have a a Lent. Next church does. um, And uh, the the Lutherans do. And I know some of the other denominations have Lent-like things. 
you know, but that was my thing that I railed about last year. Remember about the Easter eggs? No, um, I. Why don't you refresh I think my it was memory? Before our podcast, where yeah, yes. yeah, where we had where Easter egg hunts were done the Saturday before Easter. So you've evolved like, on this thought, or no? You're I, still, I still think down with you it. should have wait and have Easter egg hunts during the Easter season. Because that's the other thing is, as Catholics, we wait a minute. Really but define that the Saturday before—that's the Easter season. No, no. All right, yeah. you heard it here Easter, first. Easter begins with the vigil of Easter on Saturday evening. Yes, but you're German, so therefore you also decorate for Christmas on Christmas Eve. Right, because so you the, like to just kind of take your time with it and enjoy God in the season. The yeah. season. I okay. just took my Christmas wreath off my door today. Okay. We've, but we've, the, no, 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 hold on. The, it, was, it wasn't because I was extending the season. It was, I forgot it was on there. Okay. I never go through that door. The, we were talking to our neighbors. We were talking to Jansen and Ashley. We were walking the neighborhood last night and we live in an older neighborhood and it's like, we've been, Ben and I have been worried about the neighbors that have had their Christmas up late in January. Cause it's like, we need to do a wellness check. What is going on? And you're guilty of that. You're, you have worried your neighbor's sick. This is concerning because it's like, what, what is he doing? Is he okay? Did he forget? Is he there? Do we need to check on him? What is going on? Right. Back me up, Rebecca. Uh, I take it down (laughs) when I'm tired of it. And, but definitely before Lent starts. I actually, I do have my, I think I told you this, my, um, I have a little nativity scene. It's like the size of my hand that my brother got me for Christmas. And I decided I'm not putting that away because it's, well, it's the Holy family. So that's okay. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Eric. So I'm trying not to chew while we talk. Cause you get in trouble for that. I don't know. Y'all, y'all. <laughs> so, you know, what are you wearing? Is that. I'm I wearing mean, the same thing you are. I thought we were wearing black today. You're wearing like, she's wearing. Look a, at this. A mink. Look at this. She's wearing a mink. What kind of jacket is it? Is that a bow? Yeah, it's um New Jersey housewife chic. I was I knew we would be chilly in here, so I had Can to I bring a jacket. It? Yes, you may touch it. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we we paused for a moment, but Rebecca was saying something really important. As almost a new Catholic, she was wondering what to do, and maybe she was putting too much on herself mm-hmm. this first Lent. So kind of say what you just said, because I think yeah, it might be good for people to. So I wanted to give up chocolate, of course. Uh, but then I was, at first I thought, okay, I need to go to mass every single day. But then I know I'm working away, so I don't want to set myself up for failure if I can't find mass where I am. Although JC did give us that good link last week for mass anywhere. Mass oh, I like that. Mass anywhere. No, it's masstimes.org. Masstimes.org. So I could use that. But again, I don't want to set myself up for failure if I'm working. And, not and you get a lot of enthusiasm pre-lit that's like, I want to do it all, you know, because yes. it's kind of like a new year. So I would just suggest just decide, just maybe say, okay, I'm going to go to mass one additional time a week during Lent, maybe two additional times. And you pick the days that you want. I like that. Yes. But here's the thing about failure. There is no failure. You do your best. This is not a matter of sin or failure you set your goals. If you don't achieve them, it's not the end of the world. So it's all about your intent, what you're going to try to do. And sometimes life just gets in the way. Or sometimes you just forget. I mean, how many of us 
on a Friday of Lent, sat down and realized that they had a cheeseburger on their plate. Yep. Yep. And it wasn't until. Yeah. I mean, I forgot one time that I had celiacs and had chicken noodle soup. Like, so, you know, during Lent, I'm. What should you do? I think, or I always say, well, I'll just go a little bit longer next at the end of Lent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think go ahead and eat it. Well, first of all, you, if you're at a table with other people, anybody want my burger? It's Friday. I forgot. Okay. I like that. Nobody wants it. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to throw it away with all the starving people in the world? You're going to waste food. Rebecca? My go-to is wrap it and give it to a homeless. Oh, that's you good. You could do that. Always my go-to. That's, a, always that's a good one. I just... Or you could wrap it and save it for the next day. Yeah. Y'all, I, I love Lent. Don't get me wrong. But Ben is actually more of a Lent diehard than I am. That's he cool. is very strict during Lent. And... Like on Fridays, because I'll I'll obs- I'll observe like throughout the week, and but I don't I I don't know why I just always forget on Fridays, and I'm like tired, and like I'm making dinner, and it's meat in it, and you know. But he is so I'm always hoping he doesn't remember, <laughs> and that we can have it. But he, yeah, he he always remembers. I think it's from going to Catholic school. Yeah, and that's good. So what do you say to those who are having the opposite problem that Rebecca is having, where it's like, I don't even have the determination to get through a day of giving something up? What would you suggest? Well, What's maybe a good look place at that list that the Pope gave. Maybe okay. if it's not something where you're giving up food or something that you enjoy doing, Look at attitudes. And remember, there are two other things that we can do for Lent. Almsgiving and prayer. So we tend, so to, explain fo- what we tend to focus on the fasting part, which is where, you know, we always ask, what'd you give up for Lent? What'd you give up for Lent? Oh, I gave up Wrigley's chewing gum. You know, oh, big deal. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then there's right. also prayer and almsgiving, which are equally as important. And so in the Catholic tradition, parishes will have additional prayer services. They might on a Friday evening do the Stations of the Cross. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the cathedral mm-hmm. does the, on, do Friday. on Friday. I think it's yeah. Friday lunch, I think. Okay, they do it at lunch. Mm-hmm. It's really a cool thing. So Does, John, does Father John Thomas lead it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Father Sinesh did it last time I went, last year. Well, I only did it once. Yeah. One of the Fridays. But the idea is you're walking with Jesus mm-hmm. on his way to Calvary. Right. And so it's kind of a cool, it's a cool prayer. Sometimes they do extra rosaries or scripture services or so, other things. So it's enough to just even say, I'm going to try and have a better attitude mm-hmm. this Lent season. Right. I'm going to try and be a better friend or a better sister or a better daughter. That's that's enough. It doesn't even have to be as specific. I'm giving up this. Well, I think sometimes when you do that, it, it helps to have something concrete attached to that. Yeah, definitely. Like I'm going to be a better sister. Yes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call my sister once a week. But if you have five of them, do you break it up? Pick your favorite. <laughs> one a week. <laughs> yes. Well, break it up. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's, uh, I'm it's gonna not pick like there's hard sister. and fast rules. 
you know what, yeah. what it is you need to do. Well, that's that's great, though, because that's for our audience, for the fighting Catholic jet lag audience, right. for Catholics in general. I, like the hope is that we get to that yeah. enthusiasm. But for a lot of us, you know, even whenever you're getting excited throughout the year of, for Lent, I'm going to do great. And then you get closer to it and it's like. I'm not ready for it yet. Right. And you know, the one thing you brought up the other day, and it was off the air. I don't, you probably shouldn't say it. And I can't remember (laughs) what it was in relation to, but you said something to the effect of, yeah, this is yet another example of why people have a hard time. The focus is on shame. Mm -hmm. So those of you who are suffering from Catholic jet lag, Maybe part of the reason you are is because there's just been too much shame dumped on you for every little thing. And so when you missed your Lenten resolution and you didn't do it, shame on you. You didn't get to confession, shame on right. you. You know, and so um, we want to avoid that completely. There should not be shame. Um, you know, even if you're just wherever you're at in your faith journey, that's where you're at. It's not about where you should be or where you've been or where you're going to be. It's about where are you at right now? Mm -hmm. And if you are spiritually exhausted and you just can't deal with anything else with regard to the Catholic church, just let it go. Don't let go of the faith. Don't let go of the Catholic church. It's there for you. But let go of the expectations that you've placed on yourself or you feel like other people have placed on you. Because Lent is sometimes a moment where that is heightened. Mm -hmm. I have these expectations that I have to meet if I'm going to be a good Catholic. And either I put them on myself or I put them or others or feel like others have put them on me. Whereas in reality, other than those rules for fasting, and abstinence, mm-hmm. there really isn't much else. I mean, that's really the only things that Catholics are obligated to do during Lent is to fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, unless you're 60, <laughs> and okay. to abstain mm-hmm. from meat on Fridays. Now, there are other things that have over time have come become part of that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about confession in, in a moment, but you know, that you, during Lent, you should try to go to confession, but I'll, I'll talk about why that is in, in a moment. But even if you can't fast, for whatever reason, you feel beat up by the church, you feel like you don't know where you're going, don't worry about it. Your time for fasting will come. Maybe your fast is just to give up worrying about what it means to be a Catholic yes. and just enjoy being a Catholic. I love that. And I mean, the purpose of Lent is not to serve the Catholic Church. It's to um, observe what Jesus went right. through. So if if your Lenten promise is to spend more time with your family, then prioritize that over anything else you're right. doing. If that means staying staying home instead of going doing all of these things that we're talking about in the church— if that's what you're called to do, then that's okay, right? right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Sweet. So, you know, it can even be mean something like you're the only Catholic in your family and your Protestant mom wanted to make you a special dinner and forgot that you can't eat meat on right. Friday, was excited to make right. your favorite beef yeah. Wellington or whatever it might be. 
and you come home and your mom's all excited. Yes. She's not Catholic and says, I, I've been waiting for you to come home oh. for so long and I've made you your favorite dish, beef wellington. And you go there, mom, I'm sorry, I can't eat it because I'm Catholic and we can't eat meat on Friday. You could do that or you could just say, okay, Lord. Right. I'm giving up this expectation and making the sacrifice because I love my mother. Okay. I love that because that is being no, mindful. That's not an excuse. You can't just say, no, okay, no, I'm no. not Wellington now. But. Of course. But it's being mindful of what your Lenten promise, it, like the effect it's having on other people. So you're giving some, and that's what I, I was actually driving in the car on the way home from work today. And I'm like giving up all this stuff and giving up mm. drinking and I'm like, that's how my husband and I, we love to take walks with our dog. We call them, we have like cocktail walks and you know, we can, <laughs> we can, we can change that. But here in where we live in Kentucky, like how we connect with each other is through eating and drinking. Right. So is it taking away from that fellowship, which doing it last year, it, it won't, but that's such a good point that you're bringing up is just the mindfulness of allow allowing it to be about God and not right. about you and what you gave up right. and where the Holy Spirit is leading you, so, right? Right, absolutely. Back to the three things. Prayer is important because how can we build our relationship with God if we don't pray? And you asked a really good question about I'm prayer. I'm sure it wasn't me. Uh, didn't she? About <laughs> what, what, what does prayer look like? Yes. And is, is it, again, expectations of what prayer looks like. Prayer is just communing with God. It can be in complete <sighs> silence. It can be talking to God using your own words from your own heart. And it I have can a good be one. I have reading a, a set of prayers because you would prefer to read something somebody else wrote. It can be reading scripture and just sitting quietly with that. It can be praying the rosary. It can be praying the the stations of the cross. It can follow one of the traditional yes. uh, methodologies for prayer. And I said, you want, we want to do that in a future podcast. Yes. And sister Pam told us today, and I, I never considered this, but um, Lauren was saying for Lent, she wants to help her children be more prayerful. And sister Pam said, you know, just as with your kids, how you would say, Oh, you want to increase the communication. So it's what's one good thing that happened today. What, like what's a rose and what's a thorn. You do that with God too. When you don't know where to start, um, start with thank you or help, or just open that communication up. If this is what went well, this is what went wrong, and then go from there. Or, or help me to see myself more clearly so that I can be a better follower. Yeah, those are beautiful words. Some when I get to that point, I'm just like, help, you know what it is. <laughs> just give me some help here. And that works too. But you are very self-aware of yourself and your your many faults. <laughs> <laughs> Sure as hell I am. I don't need anyone else telling me I'm aware. So you're very self you're very self aware of not your many faults. I was, kind of, I was being, let's go let's just go through a list cheeky. of um but there's some people who aren't aware at all. I mean they just go through life and it's like I would know, I would love to saying, I would really I would that? love to be in that position. I would love that. Wouldn't you? To just wow. to just think Yes. Are you serious? I'm not to be oblivious. To, to be completely you... oblivious. But we all know people like that. Oh, they look really to... happy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. so prayer anyway. is important. And then the third thing is Converse, prayer, co prayerful conversation. Right. And we're going to do okay. a thing on spirituality probably during Lent because it's an yeah. appropriate topic on how to pray and maybe some 
methods from the tradition of, of the Catholic Church? Because sometimes people forget we've got a whole mystical tradition ourselves. Ah, so, interesting. Okay, so... Almsgiving. Almsgiving. What's an alms? That is such a good question. Alms, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Alms. Uh, no, it's not, a, not an alms. It, exactly. It's ALMS. Mm-hmm. And it is... It is? It's to whatever you give to help, help somebody else somebody to give else. the poor, especially the exactly. poor. Yep. So giving alms is something where you recognize that you have been blessed and you're sharing some of your blessings with others. It can, it can, and for the most part, it is monetary, but it can also be, if you're a poor person, of your time. So, for example, we have a group of students um, that we go over to this church over here on the corner across from the library on Friday evenings for uh, to help with their soup kitchen. That's a great example uh, of giving alms. Okay. So students typically don't have a lot of money to give away, but they're giving their time. Well, and I, I love that because like our age group, Rebecca, like we're in our 30s and it's so much easier for us to be like, I'm just going to throw some money at it. I've done my you should alms. come some Friday night. I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> it's only an hour. But that that's great. And it's like um like whenever you think of it like that, and I've never had I've never really had it presented to me like that. Like you're I'm just going to be more patient. More patience, more patient. I'm going to be more loving. That's an almsgiving then, mm-hmm. right? Well, it can be if you don't have money. I okay. Mean, you, if so it's specifically then. If you have money. Right, but you do, shouldn't be like you know. I can be more patient. I'll just keep my right. hands to myself. I, but honestly, I think that um, okay. For example, like my husband doesn't need me to give him any of my money. He needs my patience. He like right. that that kind of thing. Like my my mom needs me right. to answer my phone. But <laughs> like, alms, but almsgiving also, I think, is it, but it's it specific. takes us outside of our our family. And our circle of Got friends, it. and it actually should exist in a in a place of discomfort. Okay, you know when we do things from our families and for our friends, it's comfortable and right. it's often recipro- reciprocated. Um, but if we get out of that circle, it can be there can be a level of discomfort when dealing with homelessness. Okay, or one more. It should be something where you are a little bit stretched. Well, I, I'm not trying to get away from the financial aspect of it because it sounds like that's very important, but I'm also thinking our generation, uh, I mean, I love self-checkout because I like to go in, go out and not talk to anyone. But there are there are a lot of people that are going about their day that they want they want to have that interaction. Does that count as almsgiving when you would normally be like, I'm so busy at work right now. I do not have time to check on this coworker I don't know where to. But if they need it, yes. Yes. Okay. um, You know, if there's somebody who needs checking on who maybe is, has a, a poverty of social interactions. That's my, that is going to be my challenge. You extend to them. And I think that's perfectly legitimate. But I also think for those of us who've been blessed with a little extra. Absolutely. Um, the the hungry and the poor, they need cash or they need right. canned goods. But it's they need, not. They need a motel room. Right. You know, and so um, I think I think you can do both. Right. And I think both are legitimate. I see. And I think especially if you don't have your own resources 
what you're talking about is really, really important. You know, somebody says, I don't have anything. What can I do? You can share yourself. Right. Um, I'm thinking though more for the Catholics who aren't going to church the Lenten season. And I mean, it's not like we're necessarily convincing them. You have to get in there right now. If you're not there, there are other ways to almsgive. Oh yeah. So almsgiving isn't donating to the church. Right. And that was another question I had. Like the funds aren't going to the church. They are going to the poor. Um, well, but if you're not making it to church, there are other ways you can yeah. alms give. Uh, giving to your Sunday collection is a way of giving alms. And so some people during Lent increase what they give on Sunday because most parishes have some kind of social ministry mm-hmm. or they have a ministry to children or they have a ministry to teenagers or they minister to the elderly. Most ministries have to be supported. Right. Um but there's also Catholic charities. You know, they're still collecting money for the victims of the tornadoes. There's going to be a special collection, I think, this weekend for – I hadn't had a chance to look at the email, but I just noticed from the diocese we got an email about a special collection for uh, Ukraine, the situation in Ukraine. And then you can also, like, sponsor a bed at the homeless shelter. Wait. Right. Yeah. Okay, tell me about that. You can do that at uh, no St. Benedict's. Mm-hmm. How do you find this information to do that? You can do it online on the yeah. Benedict's uh, website. You can actually just. All right, for it. our listeners that aren't in Owensboro who want to do this, what is the easiest way? So, St. Benedict's Owensboro in Google. I'm looking it up right now. Okay, and we'll link, we'll link it. We'll put a link yeah, okay. on Instagram and Facebook. But because that's great. Yeah, yeah. Sponsor a bed. I think it's, it's something. So five hundred dollars to sponsor a bed for uh, for a year. Yeah, so for a year. Yeah, or it so. could be even be like a forty-five. I think it's forty-five or sixty dollars a month. Just really, yeah, and it's a sponsor bed. Okay, that's that's great. We need to definitely put that in. I like that. Here we go. So if you go to uh, Saint Benedict's Owensboro, all one word, Saint abbreviated St Benedict's Owensboro dot org, uh, it will take you to a link of the sponsor a bed. And if you're not in Owensboro and have a local homeless shelter, yeah. you mm-hmm. want to give to, I'm sure. That's a fantastic idea. People, but yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're cold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's $500 uh, to sponsor a bed for a year, and it can be paid in full or monthly installments of $41.67. Mm-hmm. And that's basically a dollar fifty a day. So, okay. But they're a ton. Mm-hmm. Of charitable organizations and, and non for profits. I mean, Brush University is a non for profit. I'm not asking for funds, but it's a non for profit. <laughs> We're yeah. a non for profit. Anyway, so almsgiving is another piece of it. So, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, which brings us then to the uh, other part of Lent that people often think when it comes to Lent is going to confession. And we talked about this last week a little bit, didn't we? And I feel like because we just kind of jumped into it, I feel like we kind of were all over the place and there were a number of questions that probably we we need to cover or do a clarificational on. Can so, I start with a question? Yeah, absolutely. So someone in my position, would I go to confession during this time? I've never done this before. Okay. So the rule is that you the, the in terms of Catholic obligation is that you go to confession at least once a year if you are in the state of serious sin, a mortal sin. And yes, Always. that is if you're not in a state of mortal sin, you don't have that obligation, but you're still encouraged to. And that typically that should be done 
in Lent or the Easter season. Wait a minute. So why are they always asking us, how long has it been since your last confession? Who asks you that? You do. Oh, when you go to confession. Yeah, yes. I don't know of anybody who comes right and asks, but you remember when you would remember when you were a kid and you were trained first how to go to confession. You say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been two weeks or one month or one year since my last confession. Keep going. You know, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, and that is not required, but it helps the priest to get a sense of where you are spiritually. Because oh, yeah. the priest is, is trying to help you in this case. He's trying to be a, a good spiritual father. And there's a difference between someone who says, my last confession was last week, versus someone who says, last year, no judgment in terms of this is a bad person versus this is a good person. But... Uh, it just gives you a sense then of what might be going on in that person's life. And so when, when you're trying to give maybe some words of advice, you've got a better hmm. context. It's sense. not required. Um, do you still hear confessions? Yes. Not as frequently as somebody in the parish. Do you do it for students, no. staff? I, in fact, I was hoping to talk about a little bit, would not would discourage students and staff from coming to me because of the seal of the confession. So let's kind of maybe take a couple of steps backwards before we get to that, because that's going to be something I think we need to clarify, do a clarification on from last week a little bit better, because mm -hmm. I think we were kind of all over the place. You know, tell a lie. You maybe, you know, are snarky with someone, um, impatient. You know, impatient, or whatever it might be. Um, and those are more or less serious depending on what it is. So a, a serious lie could be, or a big lie could be more serious than a, you know, a small lie. But a lie that is perjury could be a mortal sin, you know? So I'm right. going to tell a lie in court that's going to put somebody else in jail and I know it's wrong. Um, right. So but, there's, there's like a line. Yeah. There's, so, it's a. But say, okay. So the person committing it, the sin, they're purging themselves in court. They say that's the sin. What if that person is thinking, my relationship with God is fine. Mm, this isn't right. This isn't between me and God. This is between me, me and, and that. Right. right. Rebecca, that's such a good point. So yeah. is it, whose relationship is this damaging? God's relationship with you right. or your relationship right. with God? I would say if you're at that point, and this is the dangerous part about unresolved serious sin is that eventually you can become inured or immune mm -hmm. to the effects of, of sin um, and to where you, you can even deceive yourself into thinking, this has nothing to do with me and God. I'm just right. going to do this. And my relationship, God and I are still cool. Um, and that may be true from God's perspective, but God will be like, you know, um, you were wrong about that. Uh, you were, we were not cool but because in your twisted mind you thought you were that is going to save you you know wow. it, it, mental illness you can't commit do something seriously sinful where you have no control over it or you have no you know maybe you've you've got a, a mental illness a serious mental illness or you've got some something in your life uh, maybe like alcoholism or an addiction that keeps you from being completely free. So I would argue that somebody who really believes that, yeah, they can perjure themselves in court and send somebody else to jail, uh, that there's something wrong there. Now, the question is, where did that start? 
And did that person ever do something where they have separated themselves from God? And as we talked about last year in the first season, you don't want to get to the point where you've spent your life doing bad things. And then when you're faced at the end of your life with the ultimate in goodness and love, that you don't recognize that ultimate goodness and love. Mm. And you go, yeah, that's that's not, where's, where's God? Because all I see is goodness, light, and love. Where, where's God? Because my God is about being selfish and about right. myself. Right. So that's what I'm going to choose, which you could choose as an eternity in hell then, because that's what you, in a warped and twisted way, prefer. Yeah. Um, and ultimately won't ever be fully happy because, or won't be happy at all because it was over there where goodness, light, and love was, is where your true fulfillment was. But you've, in your life, you've done so many things that you don't recognize anymore as, as what you need. Wow. Yeah. Now, I still think, as we talked about last season, God can break through that. I think so too. Um, but you've got to be willing to allow yourself be, to be broken into for that to happen. And depends on the wall you've built. Yeah. So you confess your venial sins, your any mortal sins. Then you usually can tell the priest, these are all my sins. Uh, these are all the sins I remember. That, or sometimes people just say, that's it. And so then the priest might ask you some questions for clarification, but I don't think that happens very often. But they aren't, as we mentioned in the last episode, they're not, they're not supposed, supposed to, dig. to dig. They're not supposed to dig or to say, would you really mean that? You know, it's, yeah. just, it's just like, hey, when you said you missed mass, did you say you were sick? And they say, yeah, I had a real high fever. Well, then that's not a sin, right? It's like leading yeah. conversation. Yeah, so it's not. It's it's more to understand, is this really a sin or is, is it not? Right. Um, but that is rarely done. Typically, the priest will then say a few words uh, and then give the penitent a penance. The penance, I think it helps when it's real concrete. You know, years ago, it was always say four Hail Marys and an Our Father or something like that. And then people moved away from that. And they said, uh, do something nice for somebody today. Well, you know, it's like for some people who want to have something yeah. you know, real black and white, it's like, okay, did I do enough nice things? And so I think we're now back a little bit more to something specific, you know, read a chapter out of sacred scripture or say this prayer or whatever it might be. Uh, say in our father for world peace. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it looks really nice that. Uh, ribbon around Thank your neck. You. It doesn't it's go with your fur ribbon. coat. But, uh. <laughs> it says stinky on it. <laughs> it. It also, wait, it also says pervasive, subtle, and lingering. <laughs> um, anyway, it's a ribbon that was around the cheese package that we're having for. Thanks for um, the clarification. Uh, uh, Mardi Gras this evening. Yes. So then after he does that, the priest invites the penitent to make an act of contrition. If you've ever been to confession where you're like, I'm confessing this thing and the penance is okay. Well, you missed mass go next week. And you're like, no, no, I'm just here to just get do a couple of Hail Marys and we'll be done with them. They're like, no, no, no. We need you to like actually do something. Um, that's always annoying. Well, okay. <laughs> a, a good, a good point that you just made. So 
part of being a the priest being able to give you absolution because the priest is not doing this in his own name he's doing it in the name of Christ is to have some understanding that you have the right disposition remember we talk about disposition for receiving holy communion well there's also disposition for uh, going to confession do you have the right disposition and so the disposition is are you sorry for your sin are you going to do your best to avoid doing it again if you say i'm really not sorry for this one why are you here but the priest can't give you absolution it's not that he doesn't want to but he can't so you say i'm really not sorry for that now what I have done is say, can you at least say, I'm sorry that I don't feel sorry? Does that count? Yes. I would I would think so. That that I think yes. you know, and I'll even take it to because the end of the I'm sorry yeah. for not being sorry that I can't be sorry. Yes. You know, and so it's like whatever because that's crack so, yes. somebody will okay. give you is enough. To, to you know, to allow God's grace to enter into that soul. Yeah. And then the second thing is a firm resolve to avoid this sin in the future. Now, there's something that came out very clearly in in a hundred, few hundred years ago. Was the question was well, if a priest knows that this person isn't going to give up this sin, mm-hmm. can't they just say, "I know you"? That is a not enough to deny absolution. Uh, you, ha- if that person says, "I'm going to do my best," that's all you need. So, what what would get you denied absolution? If you said, "I absolutely refuse to be sorry," and I'm not sorry that I'm sorry, I'm not sure why they would be there. So, you know, but I think showing up in confession is you admitting that you're some sorry. Sort of you're, something. Sorry, I think that's it? enough of a crack. I'm just talking technically. Right? And then somebody's saying, I did all these things, but um, if I'm going to do them again, I know I'm going to do them again. So then you try to help that person to say, see, okay, is it that you want to do them again? Or you just know that you are going to do them again and you would prefer not to? Well, I would prefer not to. Enough. There's, gra- there's grace right there. Okay. That's enough? That's, I, I don't think you need much of a crack for God's grace to enter in and so offer forgiveness. if that's the case, then... And well, if that's the case, why, why confession? Why, if it's between you and God, and you said in the last episode, you know, even talking about confession, if you're the one confessing, no, that's supposed to be through you and God. What's the purpose of it? Absolutely, I always say this wrong. Absolution. What don't we get absolution from God though? What's so the purpose? There are other ways of being forgiven. So if you are, um, in, and the, the scripture says that, so if you don't have. The, the one sin that needs confession is the mortal sin. That's what you, that, and even that in an emergency can be forgiven through what's called a perfect act of contrition. Let me get back to that in a moment. I'm sorry, uh, but there, my mom is turning off the podcast right now over <laughs> what I just asked. So That's all so. right. She's, she's okay. She's still here. Yes. Um, there are enough cracks in her soul, little B, to let God's grace. <laughs> He's in. like, don't I know that? <laughs> so, you know, at, at almsgiving can forgive sins. Why? Scripture says so. No, wait a minute. Yeah, it's in sacred scripture. So, when, yeah. okay, and another question. When you say sacred scripture, you're talking about the Bible. The Bible. Because yeah. priests are like sacred scripture. And I noticed that. I'm like, you mean the, the Bible, right? Yeah. Okay, so wait a minute. In sacred scripture, a.k.a. the Bible, 
It says that you can pay your way out of sins. No, it does not say you can pay your way then out of sins. Then what do you mean? Um, in First Peter chapter 4, it talks about charity oh, right. covering a multitude of sins. So it's not that you buy your way out, but that the expression of your charity, of your love, of which almsgiving is one, can highlight your disposition. And if you're disposed to being forgiven, that's one way. It's not that you're buying, saying, Lord, I'm going to okay. give them. That's a, that makes more sense. And especially if like you've sinned against someone else, if you've um, like hurt someone right. else with your sin to get to cha- be charitable but to them. It, it to be to them, but I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody saying, yeah, "I really messed up. Uh, how am I going to make up?" And you can make. Obviously, the priest is going to give you a you know a penance, but the priest is not going to tell you, "Okay, I want you to don- donate fifty dollars to a charity." Right. Okay. Uh, right. But you can impose that on yourself and say, you know, to show myself and the Lord that my heart's in the right place. I'm going to go ahead and get, you know, so, sponsor a bed for St. Benedict or what, whatever it might be. Um, so what is this, what does this do for those, like speak to, speak to those that are so far away from it that it's like been to confession. Like it just doesn't, what's the point of it? What, what is the the point of the giving? How okay. do you make that sink so, into where well, First of all, your first question was why go to confession? Yes. Okay. So I think, all you got to do is look at social media and TikTok videos, whatever. People are confessing their deepest faults left and right. Right? That's a good point. To everybody. I thought this was about to be another you damn millennials conversation. No, I think this is actually <laughs> the younger generation. Yeah. Um, Gen Z. Yeah. And but so in a the, good way, like they're showing like uh, the, sometimes and sometimes well, but it's the like, desire to confess. Yeah, there's a, there's desi- a desire. There's obviously a desire yes. to share who you are. Yes. I'm of the generation that there are just some things you shouldn't be sharing. Right. Everybody. But I think it's really and we cool. actually even, you know, highlight for our students. I says, you know, be protective of yourself and respect Absolutely. yourself. You don't want to share everything about yourself to everyone. I agree with that. Because everyone's going to treat it with respect. I think mm-hmm. as a priest, it is in your best interest to instead, instead of looking at it like those dang millennials and right. Gen, Gen Zers, instead of being like, hey, there's a need for confession right. because Absolutely. they're doing it Absolutely. here. Which is so why that's I bring a it up. great way yeah. Which I'm bringing to it do up. that. Uh, I, so there is a desire mm-hmm. to reveal yourself. Well, from a Christian's point of view, who best to reveal yourself to than, than Christ? And and I think one of the things of doing it with someone else, and in this case, somebody who represents Christ as the church, not saying you can't confess to other people, but you know, there's this, there's something symbolic to that um, where you ideally should not be judged and you're allowed to give yourself completely as you are mm-hmm. to Christ and in addition, be forgiven uh, and to come at, walk out of that confessional, a new person. Mm-hmm. And so the, and I know this isn't everybody's experience, but it is an experience that a lot of people have that talk about how light they feel after coming out of the confessional. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not everybody's experience, but I've heard it enough 
to think that maybe it's the majority experience of those who make use of the sacrament. Now, there's a significant percentage of Catholics who never use the sacrament. Mm-hmm. They they went when they were in grade school, and when they had to go during you know CCD or anything. Once they became adults, they never made use of it again. And sometimes those people will come to you and they'll say, you know, it's been twenty years or it's been thirty years, um, and Whoopsies. you can tell when you hear we're downtown downtown Owensboro. Uh, you can tell when they're done because sometimes I'll share with you that they feel relieved. So there's no denying that that's not. And I'm I'm not denying that, but I guess my question is with the absolution piece. Why do you need absolution from a priest? And I'm so I don't mean to throw these at right. you, but this is the biggest question I usually get as a Catholic. Why do you like no take that to God? That's right. the same thing. Like aside from feeling and better, if you want to take it to God. Um, the words of the priest, typically most people that have gone to confession have already told God they're sorry. Okay. They're not just coming to confession and deciding in there, oh, I shouldn't have done these things. They, they're they bothered by some things. And so they've already expressed their sorrow. Uh, they've probably already talked to God about it. They've probably already asked God's forgiveness. Though my last two confessions, Rebecca made me go. So, and- <laughs> uh, so sometimes you have a friend who isn't even Catholic yet. That's like you should go to confession. Right. Good for you, Rebecca. <laughs> I know. And penance that. <laughs> and um, that's a multitude. Your multitude of sins She's, are covered up for that. She is just writing them down charity. for yes. So you probably already forgiven absolution is hearing it. Mm, mm, that's absolutely And having it confirmed. Uh, that's- so you have already asked God for forgiveness. And maybe you already feel like maybe God's already forgiven me. But now you have someone who's ordained in the, in the Catholic theology of ordination, ordained for the purpose of being Christ for others. Mm. And saying, in the name of Christ, your sins are absolved. Not in my name as a priest. I'm not giving you absolution. Christ is using me and this sacrament to give absolution, mm. which is why when it's abused, it's such a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. I never, I guess I didn't, I don't think it's ever been explained to me like that. Have it's, you, it, Rebecca? I recommend finding someone who can serve as your confessor. Somebody that you trust, that you can go to, doesn't mean you can't go at other times. Like I had, he's passed away since then, but I had a priest that that he was my confessor. Aww. That's who I would go to. Do you, did you, have you found some sure. sense? Yeah. No, I'm just steeped in sin now. Uh, <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, no, no, no. We're talking about Father Larry's confession. We are not wrapping up. We need another hour. Um, so, uh, because it was somebody that's I didn't have to steep. give lots of explanations yeah, to or would understand and, you know, could look for, you know. That's like the quintessential um, college priest, the Newman Center priest, that it's like, I can only imagine that he is like, 
all of this drama I can't deal with. And right. it, but that's what the, right. you know. But, you know, the, again, but th- this is important, again, as we wrap this up, is to maybe do a little bit about the, the seal of confession again. We talked about this last time, and there were some questions that I don't think we, we got to. Um, but that priest that I would go to could not bring up things that I had mentioned in previous confessions because of the seal of confession. So just as a recap, the seal of confession, as Rebecca explained last week, is that what is said in sacramental confession is inviolable. In other words, it can't be shared with anybody. It is has to be and remain completely a secret. And as you all mentioned last time, a lot of priests talk about how when they hear things in confession, they forget it anyway. And I think there's a special grace that goes along with that. Um, and so anything that you say in confession, the priest cannot repeat. So the question came up, what if somebody confesses something that's heinous? Um, And um, in Australia, for example, there is a law now that priests must share what they hear in confession if it has to do with the abuse of minors whether it's the uh, abuser confessing the sin or a minor who confesses that they've been abused. Both are instances in the Mm. past where people have said, I went to the priest for confession. He knew about it. And so the argument was not that many pedophiles or abusers go to confession. So that's very rare. But victims do mm-hmm. who think that what they've done was a sin. Mm. Um, so in response to this law on how and actually there was a, a similar law in Louisiana a few years ago, but the courts ended up saying, no, the penitent uh, priest penitent relationship is is not subject to disclosure in the same way mm. that a therapist's uh, patient relationship is. Um, and that's not just priest penitent. It's also clergy mm-hmm. and somebody from, from the, if, uh, that's considered inviolable in terms of the law. Anyway, in Australia, though, they do have a law. And so um, if you are, you're, you're considered a mandatory reporter uh, it, uh, based on what you hear in confession, So the church, in response to that, made two distinctions. First of all, reaffirmed that from the church's position, and it doesn't matter what the government says, anything anybody tells you in sacramental confession is absolutely 100% cannot be repeated uh, under pain of sin, and the priest must be willing to go to his death to not share that. And as we mentioned last week, that actually happened in Nazi Germany uh, mm. the, the Nazis killed a bunch of priests who refused to reveal what their enemies, what the perceived enemies of the Nazis said in confession. Um, mm. and, and the idea behind that is that anybody who goes to confession should feel free to know that no matter what, that priest will never repeat what they've said. And so it's supposed to be a sense of security. That just doesn't sit. That doesn't. Well, can so I finish? Well. Yes, go on. Sorry, that doesn't. <laughs> this is how we got distracted sit. last week. I know because it sounds awful. It sounds terrible. That's why I want to finish. Go because for it. 
you're jumping ahead to where where we where, where you're going where the church doesn't go. So they they first looked at any victims of abuse who were coming to confession, and they made the point that um, not everything that is said in confession is under the seal of confession. Anything that's not a sin may be open to to, to being shared. So obviously someone who's been abused, that abuse was not a sin. And so, on the part of the person on, who received right, the right, right. Right. The, obviously on the part of the abuser, right. but not Just on the part of the clarify. abused, not on part of the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the priest in that case can help that victim to get help. Can't just say, okay, I absolve you. You're done. You know, hopefully you have a good life, but can say, let me help you get some help. Yes. You know, so direct them to wherever they need to go. But they're still and under they're, an oath to not shake, to not, and like you, privacy. you, yeah, there's still privacy. There, there's yeah. privacy, yeah. but it's not the seal of confession. Right. I just, I Any don't want, sins that they committed, if, you know, that victim said, I, I stole $5. Absolutely. That, that, that would I'm be, thinking but, more of anyone listening that's like, okay, it's not under any seal and this is my biggest confession. You, there's, there's, there's still privacy right. around you're, it that it's not going to be shared. Right. But you're being a little hmm? looking at, from the one hand, you feel like it's providing a safe space. No, for, I'm thinking about vic- like it's different when it's like victims. Right. When it's a victim who is scared to go because they're like this abuse, I took part in it. And right, but it's clear. It, it's, it's very clear okay. in this thing that I read that they are in, telling their priest, you cannot ascribe sin to the victim. The victim is okay. sinless. And because that's not part of their confession, it's not bound by the seal. Okay, so it, again, privacy, you don't, you don't just go out and yell, hey, this person's been victimized. You use you would do the same thing that all mandatory reporters do, and you use discretion and privacy, and you help somebody out. So that's that's the one instance. Then the other instance is what if somebody who is the abuser who comes and not maybe not just even abuse, but something else, murder or, you know, a thief or anything like that. Thief is easy uh, because you, you can require that they give restitution before they receive absolution. So the problem with this one is that this person is wanting absolution or they wouldn't be there, right? So are you obligated? And so what they're saying is, you st- if, if it's a real true sacramental confession, you cannot reveal what this person did. You can, however, deny them what they want if they're not truly repentant. And what they want is absolution. And as part of proof that they are penitent, you can make the requirement that they show that somehow by their actions after they leave the confessional, requiring them to see a therapist maybe, requiring them to turn themselves into the law. And only after that has been fulfilled and you see now that they are truly repentant, can you give them repentance or can you give them absolution so it's really not a safe space it's actually could be a very scary space for someone who is in that situation because the idea is okay let's say this is somebody who really truly legitimately is repenting of their sin 
they're really sorry for what they've done, that they've been a monster and they don't want to be a monster anymore. Then you as, according to this article, you as the, the, the confessor can require them to demonstrate that by either turning themselves in or seeing a therapist and not getting absolution until you have had evidence that they've done that. So you're not revealing anything, but they're revealing it themselves to someone else. And if they really want absolution, then they will have to do these things. If they don't really want absolution, uh, well, then you're, I mean, but why would they be there if they didn't want absolution? The other thing is, if you, and this was something we talked about earlier, if this person then comes to see you outside of the confessional and you say to them, realize anything you say to me now is bound by mandatory reporting laws or I have to report because you're not, you're, we're not in the confessional mm-hmm. and you just, and you, and this person shares the same information with you outside of the confessional, you now have the ability to go to the authorities and report them. But can you even acknowledge that you remember between those confessions? They, you say, okay, you need to go and do that. So can, yes, can because it's not finished. It's not finished. Okay, so you can still keep that open. Yes. They com- do they have to come back to you and say I completed these things? If they want absolution. If they okay. want absolution, yeah. So it's not just like if you do these, you will get absolution. Right. It's you have to come back and right. I will give you absolution. Right. It's the same thing if, if I were to directly reveal somebody's confession and say, this person did this. I know it because I heard it in confession. I would incur an automatic sentence of excommunication that is reserved, as I understand it, to the Pope. The Pope's the only one who can forgive that. So confession is sometimes a drawn out matter. You might start it one day and you finish it, you know, several weeks later, as in that case. And I think what Australia was trying to do is how do we preserve this ancient promise to all Catholics? Because once you say you can do it in one area, yeah. you open it up to every other area. It, you, imagine in a, in a country where abortion was so against the law that you had, you women were put into jail for getting right. an abortion. And so, yeah, and I'm not, compa- I'm not comparing, <laughs> I'm not comparing the, uh, the, no, the, the two sad. things because they're obviously, you know, abuse and abortion are, are are different but imagine in a place where a woman didn't feel free to go to the priest to confess an abortion without having to worry that he's obligated to turn her in because the law says so so what's to keep the government from saying okay we've done it now with child abuse cases we don't like abortion either so we're going to do it with abortion and then oh we don't like the homosexuals either so we're going to do that with them as well and so it's a matter of government telling the church what, who and what they can forgive. So Australia, the Australian bishops, as I read this article, and I read one article, so I, my, my level of knowledge stops there. It was trying to figure out how can we respect what the government is trying to do, which is very legitimate, prevent child abuse, and especially prevent the horrific uh, examples of child abuse in the church, how can we prevent help them with that while preserving something that is sacrosanct 
to us as as a church. And it's very complicated yeah. because it does open up yeah. the potential for other areas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the idea is, and, and the Australian bishops were right in saying this, is saying if, if we do this, no one who has abused anyone will ever go to confession again. Not that it happens that often. So even we've lost even the potential yeah. of yeah. getting help for someone and getting help from them means we prevent future abuses. I really just wanted to establish that the like the sacrament is not used to cover up abuse. So No, no, no. It and there's a lot know, in I it, think but... in the past it's been used as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um and we are aware of the Catholic Church yeah, is aware that, of that you know that yeah. where a priest was an abuser and went to another priest confessed their sins and that nothing was ever done about it. Mm-hmm. But you know the Australian bishops kind of made it clear, especially if it's another priest, uh, as a condition of your absolution, you need to go talk to the bishop. Okay. You know, or you need to do you know go and most dioceses now have you know pretty strict protocols for that. Because otherwise, I won't. I won't know whether or not you really repent. Mm. Um, and then I need evidence of that in order to give absolution. You know, so uh, that's what was indicated in this article. Like I said, I haven't had a, a, a long time to study it, but it was trying to find that that balance. Mm. I had to tell the bishop after it. You obviously know the rules because right. you've been told it. Right. Would that still? I'm guessing. Th- that- would you still do it? I mean, say go to confession. Yeah, Robert. You know, it, it, it might depend on where the priest was spiritually. He might um, have come to a point of conversion to where uh, they desperately want to to get rid of this, or they want to be healed themselves. They want to um, not just for themselves, but they want to be held accountable. Uh, and there are people like that yeah. that get to a point where they just like, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm going to face the consequences, whatever they might be. Um, and so they start with confession, knowing full well that they will, you know, if somebody really wants to do that, then I suspect it really wants to be responsible. And they've done some horrific things like that. Mm-hmm. They'll say, and, and I'm going to next, next step after this is to go to the police or to the bishop or mm-hmm. what whatever it might might be. And that what you were saying, that was just Australia, wasn't it, at the minute? I think it's Australia at, at this point. You know, mm-hmm. they had a horrible, uh, Australia for some reason had a really bad situation. So hopefully that clarifies and doesn't cloud things any further from, from I, last week. I do have to ask, though, um, if, if a priest has committed, a, you know, broke the seal, um, and he wasn't the one who confessed it, but it was someone who knew that, um, that then what happens? So somebody else is accusing the priest yeah. of, of breaking the seal. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think, uh, you would say, if you're a fellow priest, you might say to them, Hey, I think you just broke the seal. I think it's serious enough. You would, um, I think you would take it to the bishop. Yeah, but the bishop doesn't have control over every priest, like just our section. In of our priests. diocese, yeah. Yeah, but if it wasn't in our diocese, then you could still take it to the bishop, and he could take it to the bishop of that priest. I mean, that's the advantage of having. I mean, there are many disadvantage of having the organization that we do, 
the advantage is is that we are highly organized, and so we, we know who belongs to who. Great, right? But I've recently learned, like with you, you're you're a parish priest. Uh, no, I'm a diocesan priest. No, sorry, you're a diocesan priest. That's what or I meant. a secular priest. You're, yeah, don't please don't, don't say that. It breaks my heart. Um, but there are priests that are in orders that are um, not under no but they have a superior okay yeah and the superior acts for them in many ways as the bishop does for so that's them. how like a, a like a group of nuns would work they have a superior as well. so it okay yeah oh, so there is some yeah mother superior or in the or sense of a congregational leader yeah but it used to be called mother superior father superior they still, that's what sister pam was calling it and they had their own council um and actually war there was uh Something called a mitered abbess. Please tell me it's a priest collar. No, it was a. They could wear. They could wear the same hat that the bishop wore. (gasps) That was done away with, but yeah. Bring me back! (laughs) All right. Oh my god. So, um, what are we going to pray? We should pray for Ukraine. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Merciful God, we ask you to bless the people of Ukraine, and we ask you to convert the hearts of those who are the aggressors, especially those in leadership. Bless all of those who have been hurt um, or injured by the violence. And in a special way, um, bless the innocent children who are caught in the way of fire. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Oh, this podcast is ended. Go and love as you've been called to love. And and Godspeed. Godspeed. And peace be with you. And with your spirit. (laughs) What am I missing?